please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And then I'm going to go over to another scripture in Revelation, so be prepared to go over there real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. But beginning at verse 4, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul told the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, he said, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That the ages to come, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And not that of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Turn over to Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation chapter 14. And I'm looking just at one verse, verse 6 here. Revelation 14, verse 6. In heaven, an angel proclaimed and said, Then I... Then I saw another angel, John said, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. We're starting a new series this morning, and the series is centered around one word, gospel, going back to the basics. Now, nobody in America probably has not heard of this word gospel, whether it be from your friends or at school, at church, Sunday school, at a Bible study, maybe on the news you've heard someone talk about the gospel. Somewhere, sometime, you've heard the word gospel. People use it in many different contexts. And the gospel in America is a word that has many shades of meanings, unfortunately. Depending on how you understand it, whether you actually embrace the true gospel or not. Well, today's message in this series, the first message of this series, the gospel, I've entitled, Getting the Story Straight. Come on. Getting the Story Straight. Now, the word gospel, many of you know, means news. It means good news. We're talking about a message that has news to it. But I want to talk about, as we introduce this series, making sure we get the story straight. Making sure we get it right. Come on. What is the gospel? What is gospel? Well, the gospel was never meant to be believism only. Now, during this series and during this time, I may say some things that'll challenge some of your theology, that may uh, challenge some of your belief, but I promise you I'm coming only from the scripture of God. We are speaking only the word of God. 
I did not go research on the internet to see what clever things that I could add to the word. All of this comes right from the word. Amen. And my job is to encourage you to go study that yourself, Bereans. Come on, study it for yourself. But we're talking about getting the story straight. And believism is a different doctrine that you'll find in churches and especially here in America, but around the world. And many, many people follow it because if you believe that you have gone to church a few times or you attend church, then you're a Christian. You're going to heaven. If you believe that you've heard of Jesus the Christ and you believe in God that you are you are a Christian and you are definitely going to heaven or if you know something about Christ and you kind of believe Christ we have millions of people who have been raised with a belief system a an idea of what it means but what really is the gospel Young woman, I heard this story of a young woman, very young, actually a child, and she was in her village with her people, with her family. Those terrorists came into that village, and they killed everyone in the village, except for a few. This girl was very young. And she saw her parents murdered right before her eyes, right before her. She saw her parents and everyone else in the village killed by these terrorists. Well, she lived and she went on and she grew and it was her plan in life to become a nurse. And so she left her village, she left her country and came to the United States to study to become a nurse. And she went to school and then she went to higher education and uh, she ended up getting her, her license to be a nurse. And then years, years later, she went back home uh, to her country and she began working in a hospital and she was a nurse and she loved it was very successful at being a nurse the, the folks uh, who came in to see her loved her and one day lo and behold wouldn't you know it the same terrorist that shot her parents ended up in her hospital in her bed well in the meantime, after she had seen her parents murdered in front of her, she made a vow that I am going to grow up, I am going to find, I can't find all of them, but I'm going to find that man that killed my parents and I'm going to kill him. I'm going to hire people, I'm going to do whatever it takes to track him down. It, it will be my life's work to track this man down and avenge my parents' death. Imagine seeing your parents murdered right in front of you how would you feel but it was her life's vow to find this man and when she did she was going to kill him well here we go fast forward years go by she finds this man in her bed and she looks at him and she says i recognize you and he needed her to save him he was so bad off instead of killing him she began to tell him a story she said I recognize you and he said I, I don't know who you are she said yeah I know you you killed my parents and I saw you kill them right in front of me well this man killed so many people as a terrorist I mean he didn't remember this particular girl but she began to tell a story she said well I was in the United States 
one of my friends in college came to me and began to tell me about Jesus. They witnessed to me, and they presented the gospel to me. And when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in my life, it changed something in me. It changed my heart totally. I realized that I could no longer live the same way that I was living. I realized that everything in me, my beliefs, all of that changed. And she said, instead of killing you, I forgive you. Baffled, the man said, why would you forgive me if this is true? I killed your parents right in front of you. She said, because Jesus forgave me. And because Jesus forgave me, I must forgive you. This story just tries to illustrate what I want to present to you over the next few weeks about the gospel. You see, the gospel was never meant to be something that you just simply believed, but it never changed your life. Something you knew, but your heart never had any response to. Something you believe like, well, I don't want to go to hell. I've heard of hell and I've heard people talk about this and I, I don't want to go there. I don't think. I think I understand that. I, I, even If there is even a hell, I don't, I'm not really sure if there's a hell, but if there is, I don't want to spend eternity there where there's flames and suffering and all of this. So I want to try to avoid that at all costs. So then the question is, how do we get to heaven? Well, you just believe in Jesus and you go to heaven. Is that true? Well, in America it is. I'm not sure the Bible knows anything about that. I hope I have your attention this morning. I'm not sure the Bible knows anything about that. For you see, the Bible said, never said that the gospel was believism only. The gospel is a changed life gospel. It is supposed to rest on the heart of a person. It is supposed to change their behavior and their conduct. It is supposed to get so deep in them that a radical change takes place. You cannot accept the gospel yet continue to live and act exactly the same way that you did before you accepted it. I was thinking of how I grew up in church. Some of you can relate, some cannot. We all have different backgrounds. But I am one who grew up in church. About six weeks old, it was my first church service, and ever since then I've been in church. Okay? Doesn't mean anything, nothing special. Just goes to illustrate this story. So growing up in church, I remember listening to so many different sermons and being involved in so many different services until one day in April of 1983, was a junior in high school, I was, not to go too deep in the story, but I, I, I had some friends who were really into black power. Okay, it was that time. It was, you know, around the late 70s, and that, that stuff was kind of fading away a little. That's right, Forrest. Had the afro, okay, the whole thing. And they were really into this thing. 
And I was, you know, I would hang out with the, these friends and I wasn't really sure, you know, whether I believed that or not. I, I saw what they were saying, you know, all that we had been through as a people and all this. But yet I had been to church all my life and there's neither Jew nor Greek, male, female, you know. So I was, you know, kind of confused about this thing. And I went to what we label as the black church, okay. In other words, the church I was in at this time was called the Holy Spirit Center. So can you imagine our services, Okay. All right. Holy Ghost. All right. And so uh, so that's that's the environment it was. Well, one Sunday, April 1983, in March, uh, end of March, beginning of April, a couple came to evangelize. They weren't scheduled. They just showed up and they had a conversation with the pastor. And uh, whatever happened during that conversation, they preached that morning it was a white couple. And so we're kind of looking at them. <laughs> How are they going to preach? How's this going to come across? Well, long story short, they presented the gospel. And I had heard the message so many times before, but this morning it was different for me. Now, let me give you some other background. Growing up, you know, I was a mischievous child boy, just like everybody else, you know, don't, I mean, just got into stuff and all those type of things, but never was into drugs or alcohol or any of those type of things. You know, the problems I gave my mom was just, she could smack me upside the head and tell me to go sit down. It was never, she never had to come get me out of jail and all, all of those type of things, like some other friends that I had. So, uh, you know, so I was quote unquote a, a good boy, you know, growing up. In fact, my friends called me choir boy in school. All right, so I played football and did all those things, but I never, you know, smoked, uh, you know, uh, weed or any of those type of things with those guys. So I was, a, I was a good boy and I felt like I was a good person, especially when I compared myself to my friends. This morning when the gospel was presented to me, something changed in me so radical that I knew there was a friend that went to church with me. His name was David Penn. So if you're listening to this, David, I'm talking about you. I haven't seen him in 30 years, but David Penn and I were, you know, we were thick as thieves. We always got into trouble. I responded to the altar call, and, but he didn't. And so after church, he started talking to me, and he was like, well, what is it like? You know, is it, I mean, do you feel different? I mean, you don't look different. Uh, you know, he had all these questions. And though nothing changed on the outside, this Adam I still lived in, in me, something changed so radical that I told him, I said, David, things are not the same. He said, yeah, but you were a good person anyway, so this was bound to happen. It just, you're in church, so it doesn't matter when it happens for you. I mean, it's almost like you were born saved. And I said, yeah, I used to think that too, but guess what? I wasn't. As good as I was, all the good things that I did and all the bad things I stayed away from, I was going to hell just like everybody else who murdered, lied, and stole. Just like everyone else. Because there's only two types of people, folks. Not black and white. Saved and unsaved in God's eyes. Yeah. And it was made so clear to me that morning. That Sunday morning was made so clear. And it was a radical change. Here's what I'm telling you. Is that you don't have to be strung out on drugs to have a radical change in your life. The gospel changes you no matter who you are. No matter what your lot in life, when you are presented with the gospel, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a change takes place. 
Now, I remember also growing up and listening to the preacher preach and uh, even, even, after I, even before I got saved as a teenager, after I got saved, I used to listen to the preacher preach. And again, the Holy Spirit center, okay? So every week was pretty much a salvation message. Every week we had an altar call for salvation. And uh, yeah, we've gotten away from that, haven't we? And, uh, but I, you know, one of the things that, I, that, that was just pricked my, my uh, curiosity was I would watch Pastor call people up, have an altar call after service, and call people up. See, in those days, you had to get up and come to the front. And then he would ask them to repeat after him, and he would say 15, 20, 25 words, and they would repeat those words, I accept Jesus into my life, my Lord and Savior, repent, those type of things. And then all of a sudden, he would turn them around to the congregation and say, here are your new believers the angels are rejoicing because, and they're celebrating because we've added some people's names to the Lamb's Book of Life. And it was true. It was true. But as a boy, I, I looked at this. I looked at this. And as I got older, I used to ask myself, is the only difference between an eternal hell and an eternal heaven 20 words? To just speaking some words, is that the only difference between eternal hell and eternal heaven? It got me to thinking. It should get you to thinking. So, how do we get there? Heard another story a friend of mine told me about some ministry students at seminary. Some people call it cemetery, seminary. That's where you learn how to be a preacher or a full-time minister, those type of things. But these students were at seminary, and their professor gave them an assignment. He said, all right, you know, we've, we've been in this class, and you've, you've, learned, you've studied some stuff from the Old Testament, you've studied some stuff from the New Testament, and I've given you all these things. He said, now it's time for you to go prepare a sermon. He said, so here's what I'm going to do, though. Because the Bible says, be ready in season and out of season. He said, half the class, I'm going to give you 30 minutes. I want you to run back to your dorm, and you've got 30 minutes to prepare a sermon. The other half, I'm going to give you until tomorrow. So the ones who had 30 minutes, I want you to come back and give us your sermon. And then the others, you'll present yours tomorrow. Well... As they all, of course, the ones who had 30 minutes ran out of class because they had to get back to their dorm right away to prepare this sermon. They were excited about it. But as they left their dorm, there was someone out on the steps of the building who was in trouble. He was bleeding, had fallen, was in trouble and needed some help. The, third, the, the students that only had 30 minutes, as the professor watched, not one of them stopped to help the person who needed help on the steps. The others who had to present their sermon the next day, they kind of stopped a little bit, but they determined, well, he, I think he's going to be okay. I only have 24 hours. I need to go prepare my sermon as well. So they really didn't even help either. The sermon topic that they had to prepare was on the Good Samaritan. 
The gospel is not something that we just recite or just say we believe. The gospel is something that has to change our life and it has to be shown in action. It has to be shown in action. I have three definitions for the gospel. We could probably come up with a ton of definitions, but I couldn't just define it in one definition. Here's the first one. God welcoming you just as you are by grace alone, but there's not a period there. There's not a period there. Because if it was only grace, that means we wouldn't have to do anything. We wouldn't have to believe. We'd just show up. We'd be puppets. That's it. Through faith alone, but there's not a period there either. Because if it was just faith, all we'd have to do is say a few phrases. We believe. No grace. It's all, all totally and 100% on us. No. In Christ alone, remaking you and setting you on a path to an unimaginably great future. These things work together. By grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Do you see how all these three things work together? Now do you understand Ephesians 2, 8? By grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Next, the persistent God never giving up on you, always loving you, holding his arms open, saying, welcome home. That's the gospel. And then it's the life-altering news. Remember, the gospel is news. It is good news. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, did what? He became human, lived a sinless life, died for sinners, and came back to life so that humanity could have a relationship with God. Now, the most important thing about this definition are those very last few words. When we talk about the gospel, I want you to understand that as uh, horrible and as magnificent as the cross was, it is only the beginning. The cross is only the foundation. But the whole point is that humanity would have a what? Relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, then you're not living, nor do you truly believe the gospel. Now, believism, how do we know that it's not just believism? I just need to believe on the Lord. Well, here's what I want to tell you about that. Satan believes in the Lord, but he is judged to an eternal separation from God. So it has to be more than just believism. Romans 1.16 says this. Paul said this to the Romans. You know it. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and then for the Greek. Galatians 1.11, but I made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. This good news comes from God. 
when Peter realized that Jesus was the Messiah and he declared that, he believed it in his heart. And he had corresponding actions with that. And then Jesus said, look, this is not from your teaching. This is not from seminary. This is not from the rabbi, but this is from my father. Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. We're talking about the gospel and how it changes you. Please listen to this. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. Why? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul dedicated his whole life to testify of the gospel to others. His whole life. He said, I count my life as dung in Philippians. Do you? Do I? What's more important to us? I'm talking about the gospel, the true gospel this morning. I'm not talking about the American gospel. I'm not talking about the, well, if you just go to church, you'll be okay gospel. I'm not talking about the, well, as long as you do good things and you kind of help some people sometime gospel. I'm not talking about the, well, as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds gospel. I'm talking about the gospel that changes your life dramatically and drastically and radically. That's the gospel we're talking about. Romans 3.23 in the New Good News Translation says, Everyone has sinned and fallen away from God's saving presence. You know it is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. No, not one is righteous. The gospel is good news. It is not something we do, but something done for us. Why is it good news and what is the good news. See, there's a part we play. God played his part already by dying on the cross and making it available for us to have a relationship with him. But if we, that's the grace. But if we do not believe, if we do not confess with our mouth, with our mouth, and believe in our heart, and again, I'm not talking about believism, I'm talking about belief with corresponding actions a change, a radical change, believe in our heart on the Lord Jesus and that he died on the third day he rose again, then you shall be saved. Because all humanity is dead in its sin. Why is the gospel necessary? Why is it necessary? Because all humanity is dead in its sin. No, there is no good. No, not one. We are born into sin, born with a problem of separation from God. Our spirit is dead, darkened, and we are destined to live and die in this darkened state unless we respond to the gospel. I was praying this morning with the elders, and we pray, though we walk in darkness, Lord, your word is light. There is darkness all around us. Darkness is simply a state without the light of the Lord. That's all it is. Romans 5.12, sin came into the world through one man, and his sin brought death with it. As a result, death has spread to the whole human race because everyone has sinned. 
And so now we complain, well, it's not fair. I mean, Adam did that thing. Well, you are Adam. You are man. You are Adam. You are this flesh. So all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are alienated. Folks, we are alienated from God. Psychologically, within ourselves, socially, we're alienated. We're alienated from one another. We're blame shifters. Come on. We're spiritually alienated without God in our lives. We were sinners. If you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus in your life, you are a sinner. We have turned away from God, rebelled against his authority. Our relationship with God is broken, as are all other relationships when we're in a rebellious state. And guess what? It's a form of slavery. But I want to tell you this morning where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom and there is liberty. And that is the good news of the gospel. Why is the gospel necessary? Because we are prone to try to save ourselves. We do it. We try to save ourselves with good deeds, with theology even. We have conversations, and if we can talk long enough with someone else and convince them that we're okay, we then convince ourselves that we're okay. And then we feel better about ourselves. I know it's true because I've done it. I try to convince, and if I talk long enough, I talk myself into justification. But guess what? God is not moved by your much speaking. God is not moved by even your tears. Do you want to know what moves God? Faith and obedience. Obeying God, doing what he said do, when he says to do it. That's what moves the hand of God. The, God has already laid it out. It'd be like you doing something for your children, laying it out for them, laying their clothes out for them, and then they come and ask you, can you get my clothes? And you say, well, I've already laid them out for you. You just have to get them off the bed. Well, can you get my clothes? I've already laid it out for you. And then they start crying. Please get my clothes. Well, it might move your heart, but it doesn't move your hand. I've already done it for you. And that's what God is saying. I've already done it. What more do you want me to do? What do you think I will do? I'm not going to die on the cross again because you cry. I've done that already. I know we're emotional. Please don't take offense to that. I'm not saying there won't be times where there's tears. There will be. Trust me. But what I'm telling you is that faith in the word of God will move the hand of God. Following what he said, he's already done it all for you. That's the good news of the gospel. Stop trying to save yourself and just do what God tells you to do. He's already done it. Get out of legalism. He's already done it. And then thirdly, because the world has no hope as it is. Come on, who are you going to rely on? Our politicians? 
government of the world, the military, philosophers. Who are you going to rely on? Doctors, we have so much trust in our doctors, as we should, because God has blessed them with great knowledge. But how much more should we trust the Lord who created the doctor that you trust? How much more, Dr. Jesse? How much more? The gospel of Christ is for my salvation and for the salvation of the world. It is first individual, but it is also for the world. Where did the world come from? What went wrong? And how will it be fixed? Jesus is the only fix for the world. The message is that everyone is separated from God because of our sin. The result of sin is what? It's emptiness, nagging guilt, and a certain fear of death. Yet, because God loved us in spite of our sin, he sent Jesus to die in our place and then to unite us with God. Unite us in relationship. Here's the thing about the gospel. If you don't take anything else away from just this introductory message about it. The gospel is this. It is that Jesus is the only way to God. It's the only way to God. You know, one of the things that I, I, I really love about sports is when I, when I like a, a sports team, one of, the, one of the things that you'll find on any real good team, uh, whether it be a sports team, whether it be a team at work, you know, a corporate team, but one of the things that you'll, you'll find is you, you find leaders and you find someone that takes charge. You know, as much as I didn't like, uh, you know, Michael Jordan because he played for the Bulls and we liked the Pacers here. Or now there's LeBron James, who's just a, you know, a freak of nature. The guy is so good. And, uh, but he plays for the Heat and I'm a hater, you know, and so I hope they lose. But, I, you know, watching this guy, there comes a point in the game where his team is struggling a little bit. And you know what he does? He says, give me the ball. You know, we played T and I'm getting everybody involved, but now it's time to take control. And when he puts his mind to it, there is no one that can stop him. He'll have the ball, he'll put a move on you this way, a move on you that way, and if you stand in his way, he'll just dunk on top of you. You can't stop him when he puts his mind to it. Well, you want to know something, saints? We have a champion. And one of my favorite book of the whole Bible is the Gospel of John. And one of my favorite scriptures, passages is in John 14. Because my champion and your champion stood up before the whole world, whoever would listen. And he told them, he said, look, I know you might trust in some other gods. I know you might trust in Dagon or Easter or some other gods as you've grown up. But I want to tell you something today, that I am the truth. I am the way and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. That's my champion. He stood up before everybody and said, it ain't going to happen. You can try it, but I'm the only way. Give me the ball. It's time to win the game. And if you want to win, you'll be on my side. Otherwise, you're a loser. Two types of people. One with me and one against me. 
No lukewarm, no in the middle, no straddling the fence, folks. You're either with me or you're against me. That's it. John 8, 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not, if you do not believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. Now, this is not our claim. It's not my claim. It's his claim. We did not invent the claim that Jesus is the only way. People say, well, you're, you go to Christian church, you're closed-minded. Well, about that, I don't have a choice but to be. That's just what it is. It's like looking at a color and saying, well, this is maroon. And you say, well, I don't know that it's maroon. Well, it's maroon. Well, you're just closed-minded. I'm just saying what it is. <laughs> this is plastic. I can see through it. Well, can you really see through it? I'm not being closed-minded. I'm just speaking what's right in front of me. And if you would allow Jesus to open your eyes, you would speak what's right in front of you, and that is that Jesus is the only way. No one comes to the Father. No one sees eternity with God but by Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one only. And one priest mediator between God and us, and that's Jesus. But in our pluralistic world, the belief that Jesus is the only way to salvation is increasingly called arrogant, hateful, and narrow-minded. Many shrink back from this strong view. We cannot surrender the unique place of Jesus in salvation. It is only through this one man. And what we have done is we've so gotten away from this gospel message because we justify it by saying, well, how are we going to win people unless we, you know, ease up a little bit on the message that Jesus is the only way. And if we ease up a little bit, maybe we can get in and, and have a relationship with them and then finally kind of win them over. But you know what ends up happening is they win you over because you don't have a stance. Stand for something. Or fall for anything. Come on, be convicted about something. Be convicted, saints. If you believe Jesus today, I'm urging you to be convicted. Be convicted about that thing. Don't be on the fence. You don't want to take a chance. <laughs> Come on. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says there is a nice symmetry in this. Death initially came by a man and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam, but everybody comes alive in Christ. But we have to wait our turn. Christ is first, then those with him at his coming. The grand consummation when? After crushing the opposition. Come on, that's my champion. He hands over his kingdom to God the Father. You see, Jesus purchased a people, that's you and me for himself, from all the tribes and languages of the world. God did not plan for multiple peoples. He planned one Savior for all people to make us all one. Though we have different shades and different likes, I want to tell you we are still at the very core one people. We are blood brothers and blood sisters. And the blood of Christ is higher than the blood of man. 
Say, blood is thicker than water. Christ's blood is thicker than blood. Come on. And this is the only salvation plan, folks. There is no other. Come on, I'm convicted this morning. There is no other salvation plan. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No one else. Not in the idea of Christ Jesus, not in believism about Christ Jesus, but in Him. You have to be in Him and He in you. Acts 17 says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men. Come on, this is a prophecy this morning. This word right here that Paul spoke to the church at Jerusalem and the church in Acts is a prophecy to us. He said he's overlooked it. He's overlooked our arrogance. And he's overlooked our ignorance. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained, Christ Jesus. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. The day of reckoning is coming, saints. It is coming, and that's not a scary thing. That's a great thing for us. Come on. Because he's not going to look and see what all you've done to see if you get into heaven or not. He's going to look at one thing. That is, did you confess me with your mouth, with your mouth, and did you believe in your heart? Not believism, but did it radically change you? No other name under heaven. Boy, this could be a whole nother sermon on the name of Jesus. Come on. Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. No other name, only the name of Jesus. Acts 10.43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. There's no other confession other than the one in Romans 10.9. You can't confess something different. There's no maybe, there's no might. You have to be convicted. That day, that April day in March, or April day in the, at the end of March, beginning of April uh, in 1983, I was convicted. I was convicted and I was changed. Though I had been a good person, though I felt like I had been a good son to my mother, though I felt like I didn't do all the things that my other friends did in school, I was changed. I was convicted. And I had to repent of my sins. Folks, the gospel is the greatest news that you could ever get. It's an amazing story. Romans 5, 17 says this, If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life. In those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides us. Can you imagine? Now, what is our response? 
Colossians 2.14 in the New Living Translation said, He canceled the record of all the charges against us, saints, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. (laughs) Every wrong thing you've done, no matter how bad, no matter how heinous, is nailed to the cross. Do you understand that Jesus had every sin that everyone had ever committed up to that point? On his shoulders. He had every sin that people were committing at the moment that he was on the cross. People in China and Mongolia, maybe American Indians, Australia, people that are not talked about in the Bible, didn't even know about Jesus. That's what Paul meant in Romans when he said, well, you were yet sinners. Didn't even know there was a such thing as a savior. He was dying for them. He had all the sin of the whole world on his shoulders. Oh, but it doesn't stop there, folks. He had all the sin that anyone ever would ever commit on his shoulders at that point. I'm telling you, and I'm not prophesying this message, but I'm telling you, every sin that you ever will commit from today forward, Jesus already paid for it on the cross. See, the sin problem is dealt with. But now we have to have a response to all this. See, when when I hear that, when I hear that the sin problem is dealt with, some might say, well, that just makes me feel like, okay, the sin problem is dealt with, so now I can just do whatever I want to do. Paul said this, God forbid. Now, I'm not changing scripture, but just what I got from from, from Paul's saying and what it meant to me was, don't test God. Don't test him now. God forbid. Because you test him, you'll find out. Because you're a son. And so you'll find out all the more being a son. You ever seen a coach? I've, I've done this with my son. You ever seen a coach be harder on his own son than the rest of the team? See, I can go, you know, I can go so far with them, telling them the mistakes they've made, you know, being late for practice, yelling at them, doing all those types of things. But you're my son, so I can go a little bit further with you because I love you and I want you to do the right thing. And so that's where God is with us. There should be a change. What's our response? Number one, come. Come to Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Let's sing that song we sang earlier, Love Lifted Me. First, come to Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, just as you are, right where you are. Next, you have to believe. Believe in Jesus. Take a hold of this truth by faith. Admit that you cannot save yourself. Come on. And believe in the work of Christ. But then there's something else that sometimes we leave out, folks. The third thing is repent. Repent is part of the gospel message. We have to do it, Sister Sharon. And we have to teach it. We have to witness it. Repent. You must repent. If you haven't repented, there is no change in your heart. Guess what else is part of the gospel message? See, that's where we stop. Usually we stop at come and believe. That's the believism gospel. Next is repent, but this is very much part of the gospel as it is 
as the come part is follow. Follow. That's why I'm so convicted that the vision of this house is to disciple, Sister Jody, and not just bring people into the Lord. Although we have to do that. We have to do that. But part of the salvation message is to disciple. God loves us so much that he will not leave us where we are, nor should we leave those who come to the Lord where they are. We must follow. 